Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, November 22nd, 2013. Now, today's episode of Fighting for the Faith might seem like it's coming out of left field. But it's not. We're going to do a little bit of applied law and gospel. Law and gospel is not something that's just abstract. It hits the road in your life. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. A lot of very popular uh, pastors, preachers, teachers, authors. Um, Unfortunately, when we compare what they're saying to God's Word in context, they're not teaching the truth. And because of that, what ends up happening in people's lives matters. It ends up screwing things up for people. Um, They have no power over sin in their lives. They have no real hope of salvation. And sadly, if they continue in, false doctrine, not correctly understanding what the gospel is, then they risk, literally risk, spending eternity in hell. That's what's at stake. Now, oftentimes here at Fighting for the Faith, I will do segments based upon audience suggestions. You can suggest things via email. You can suggest things to me via Twitter. You can suggest things to me via Facebook. Now, because of the overwhelming amount of uh, program ideas that I get through all of these different uh, sources, there's no way I could do, you know, I, I could, you know, do segments on everything that people suggest, but please don't let that discourage you. Um, every episode of Fighting for the Faith has a theme, and, you know, and I pull from all of those audience suggestions and often slot things in. And a couple of days ago, on my Facebook wall, Somebody posted a link to a, a Judah Smith article or article about Judah Smith at the Christian Post um, talking about him, Judah Smith, offering Justin Bieber support amid media scrutiny. And I'm going to read that article, but I'm going to read that article when I put some things in context. Now, if, folks, I am, listen, when it comes to pop media and pop culture, I have n- number one, 
no time. Number two, no interest. Um, so, you know, my kids, you know, they can tell me who, you know, Justin Bieber is and who he's been dating is some Selena girl. And, and, you know, I, I remember my seeing Miley Cyrus a couple of times when my daughter years ago was watching the Disney channel and there was a Hannah Montana thing on, you know, and that was pretty much my exposure to Miley Cyrus. And then the whole thing blew up this year where she really went, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, skanky. So uh, this is something that I just don't <laughs> I do not follow any of this but what the news has what I've been seeing in the news and as a result of me doing the research on this article we've got a full blown major issue when it comes to Christianity what is the message that's being put out there and who are the people who are for lack of a better way of putting it, the most famous representatives of the Christian faith out there. And so we're going to take a look at some things that have been said in the media regarding Justin Bieber and his faith. We're going to then listen to some recent, I mean, how do I put this? Like Hollywood, you know, paparazzi, you know, gossip rag kind of stuff. Uh, regarding um, Justin Bieber's latest exploits in South America, down in Brazil, we'll take. A, I'll read to you Judah Smith's response to this, um, and then I'm going to offer some better pastoral advice to Justin Bieber because my concern at this point is that number one, when somebody like Justin Bieber, you know, with everything that's going on, he lives in an artificial world. But he is a real human being, and it's really easy for everybody to roll their eyes and and just pray for the day when Bieber fever passes over the land, and nobody and everybody will say, "Oh yeah, remember the remember Justin Bieber and all that kind of stuff." But in the midst of all of this right now, there is a young man who confesses that he is a Christian, who is clearly enslaved to some egregious sins of the flesh, and the pastoral advice that he is getting doesn't sound pastoral at all. And it's not the, this is not the message that Christians, pastors, should be sending to somebody who is enslaved to the types of sin that uh, Justin Bieber is enslaved to. Now, I understand that, you know, that no one can prove what he has or hasn't done, but it, it you would basically the chances that he's he went there you know the things that he's done that he was there to uh, share the the love of Jesus with people is slim to none slim to none we've got a young man who confesses Christ and I'm going to basically approach this from the point of view of I am not going to doubt that Justin Bieber is a Christian. I must assume based upon his confession that he's a Christian brother and we have a Christian brother who is in serious, serious spiritual danger um, of the type that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, hell is a po- is a real possibility. And I know there's a lot of people out there saying, well, he's not bearing any of the fruits of a Christian, so he was probably never a Christian. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to get into that debate. So this, I think this comes down to a good example of, where, how do we apply as Christians law and gospel? What's the right way of looking at this? 
And uh, my plea to Justin Bieber is, uh, you know, if he's not getting good pastoral advice, uh, then uh, he, he he is free to contact me, uh, send me an email, and uh, and set it up, and uh, I'll be happy to talk with you and share with you really what the scriptures say regarding the sins that he's enslaved to. And he can contact me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. I, you know, I don't wish him ill. In fact, my prayer is, is that somebody would preach the truth to this young man so that he would be set free from the bondage that he's in and the sins that he's clearly enslaved to. So we'll, we'll talk about that in today's episode. So here's what we'll do. We're going to lead off with the Bieber story. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll, the Bieber portion will go a little bit long. When we come back, I'm going to play for you a um, a portion of a lecture delivered by the late Dr. Walter Martin. And I think it's cogent to uh, the topic that we're talking about today. And in, in this um, lecture that Dr. Walter Martin gave a long time ago, he was talking about Satanism and he was talking about the devil. And I understand that the devil is not a popular topic nowadays. A lot of people don't like talking about the devil as if the devil really is a real person or a real entity. But Scripture is very clear that we have an enemy, and and our enemy, as Christians, we must always keep this in mind. We do not battle against flesh and blood. There isn't a single human being on planet Earth, not one, that Christians are technically at war with. Okay, because the war is between the devil and God, and by the mercy of God, we have been brought out from under slavery and and the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, into uh, into Christ's kingdom through the shed blood of Christ. Therefore, it's important for us as Christians to keep in mind that we do have a very real enemy in the devil, and he is not uh, some nincompoop um he's not some you know he this is a this is an entity with a superior intellect to ours who has who knows humanity better than than even humanity knows itself and he is a powerful powerful foe and uh, one that we must soberly keep that in mind now yesterday i sent out um on facebook and twitter i sent out a um a uh, kind of an update, and I had made you know a poster, if you would, and in that poster, um, the, what I did is you know, this is in light of something that I've been studying along these lines and something I'm working up, but I wanted to get it out. Um, it, and it, it's it, it's a graphic that I put up as a TwitPic. It's on Facebook, and uh, somebody's even offered to make it into a poster. But the, here's what it says. I stand in defiance to the false God of this age, and I will not listen to his false prophets and lying teachers who pervert Christ's, uh, Christ's word. I bend my knee to the true king, who is the immortal, invisible, the only true God, and I will only honor and glorify him into the ages of the ages. The reason I put that out is because of what I've been studying regarding the devil. And sometimes it's good to take a step back, at least for what I do, to take a step back and kind of go back to basics. You know, what is our fight? Who are we fighting? Who is our enemy? And what, you know, what are his real plans? And so uh, we'll put in that, uh, you know, instead, I'll throw in that Walter Martin segment just for 
you know, for a little bit of grounding, for for y'all to consider something along those lines, that our battle really isn't against flesh and blood. It truly is against the devil, and he is real. And, you know, he really, truly seeks to destroy us, not just ruin our dreams, but literally, literally destroy us and to make us unfruitful as Christians. You know, that that would be the idea. Then to end off today, we're going to end off with a good sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. And the name of the sermon is When You Are Tempted, When You Are Tempted. So that is going to be what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And I apologize that this opening segment regarding Justin Bieber is going to seem a little bit choppy. I, I can't I can't change that. That's just the way it is. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play for you um, several segments, some video segments, talking about Justin Bieber's faith, if you would. And um, because if you remember, you know, it was a couple years ago, uh, the Never Say Never uh, performance video came out, and, and Justin Bieber got a lot of media attention back in February of 2011 uh, regarding his Never Say Never uh, uh, movie that hit the theaters back then. In part because along with the movie, there was a Bible study that, you know, that, you know, people were encouraged to download and there were Christian kids who were encouraged to, um, well, have Bible studies after watching the Never Say Never movie. Okay, so Justin Bieber is a kid who is not only a famous pop star, but he's also somebody who has a very public has very publicly confessed to be a Christian and to have a Christian faith. The problem is that um he's definitely not as they say walking the talk. He's enslaved to sins. But let's go backwards in time. Here's a montage of Justin Bieber discussing his Christian faith, which I think will kind of help set the stage here, and then I'll play another uh, audio from a video of Judah Smith talking about uh, Justin uh, Justin Bieber's faith, and then we'll, we'll get into the dark stuff. But uh, here's a montage of Justin Bieber discussing his Christian faith. Here we go. I think that God is the only one keeping me sane right now. Um, it's cool because so many people, there's so many talented people, and, and that's like God has blessed so many people, but it, it takes a lot of hard work as well. He wants you to you work for it, and he wants you to always um, just trust him. And I just think that that's something that is a gift that comes from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've, uh, I've definitely been blessed by God, and he's definitely been um, very generous to me. And uh, it's, it's just been an amazing roller coaster ride this whole past two years. My love, yeah, it's overflowing. I got to show you a place where I go to just think about things. It's the top of the world with the king of kings. <laughs> Who's my biggest role model? Um, does it have to be like... In Anybody. this day and age? Anybody at all. At all? Okay. Job. <laughs> I'm serious. Do you guys want to know why? Yeah. Do you guys know who Job is? Yes, from the Bible. Okay, so he got tortured. Like, he got his family killed. Everything was taken away from him. Like, his job, his cattle, everything. And then he still remained, like, still faithful to God and, and still trusted God. After, after everything was taken away, he, 
he was like, he didn't know why it happened, but he still put his faith in, in God and, and remembered that, like, everything happens for a reason. So that's why. You weren't expecting that, were you? Like, I'm a Christian. You know, I believe in God. I believe that, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that, you know, um, that... You know, I, I love, I have a relationship with him. I'm able to talk to him and really, he's the reason I'm here. So I, I definitely have to, you know, remember that. And, you know, as soon as I start forgetting, you know, I got to like click back and be like, you know, this is why I'm here. Um, I think everything happens for a reason. I think God picks certain people, and he blesses certain people with different talents and different things. Um, and, you know, I just have to remember what, what I'm here for and, and that he, he put me in this position. And Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this tea, and thank you so much for my dancers, and thank you so much for my backup singers. You have quite firm family values, don't you, and Christian values as well. Mm -hmm. I'm Christian. Um, I believe that, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and uh, it helps me and helps me stay grounded, being able to you know pray and stuff, and keep that more important than anything else. Because if, if you start taking yourself more seriously than you do God, then there's a problem. But just like I was in Israel, and uh, you know I was in a church, and I was looking at different places, you know where you know Jesus walked and stuff, and that was like kind of really important to me. And uh, it just sucked that they didn't, they really didn't have any respect to just, they were coming in the churches and just, you know, that, that kind of aggravated me because, you know, I thought they might have a line, but they just, they crossed it there. You want to say grace? Thank you, Lord, for this pizza, this cheese, pineapple, bacon, pepperoni. And thank yeah. you to Hawaiian people, people for making, for making pizza. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. No, thank you that we have great friends. We're able to hang out together and uh, have a good time. I want to plant in people's lives to just be like, anything is possible. And if you, you know, if you put God first and remember to always stay humble and always be gracious, then, you know, anything can happen. All right. Now, that's the montage of Justin Bieber talking about his faith. Now, you'll notice some, well, mixed up bad theology in the midst of all of that, which tells me that he hasn't, well, let's use the old school term. He hasn't been well catechized. He's very confused as to what the Christian faith is, and yet one of the clearest things that he said in there is that Christ died for his sins. So we'll come back to that theme in just a little bit. But here is some more audio, and this is um, Justin Bieber's pastor, Judah Smith, somebody we've covered here at Fighting for the Faith and documented his Bible twisting. Um, and um, yeah, this is from earlier this year, and uh, Judah Smith appeared on Showbiz Tonight to discuss Justin Bieber. Here's what he said. Called Jesus Is, which is already topping the charts. His name is Judah Smith, and the pastor is with me tonight from New York. So Justin Bieber himself has just endorsed your book on Twitter. First off, you got to love that. Uh, congratulations on that. And a lot of people are wondering, how do you, how did you hook up with Justin in the first place? Tell us how that happened. Yeah, I got a call uh, several years ago uh, from his mom, and uh, he was coming to town for one of his shows. And uh, lo and behold, 
when he was younger, he had heard me speak at a gathering in Toronto. And uh, now I, I just have to say something funny. When he was younger, he heard him. <laughs> How young was he? I mean, I look at Justin Bieber. The kid doesn't even look like he can shave. <laughs> was it two months ago? Sorry, I just had to say that. It's, it's just, it just seems kind of funny to me. Actually, I guess it listened to my tapes when he was a kid, and evidently they put him to sleep, so they helped him sleep at night. <laughs> it's not really what you want to hear when you're a preacher, Carlos. Not, not at all. <laughs> I mean, and, and there's an endorsement. <laughs> you yeah, put me exactly. to sleep. Can you lead me to the Lord? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it seems that Justin, though, okay, it seems that Justin's image has taken... A big hit. You got the speeding in downtown L.A., partying with a little twist. And now there's, of course, that now infamous picture where it looked like he was smoking pot. I mean, it's going to get worse than that. But let's continue. Even apologized for it on Saturday Night Live during a sketch about Miley Cyrus. Watch. I also heard he got busted for smoking weed and he's really sorry about it and that people make mistakes and he's never going to do it again. All right, lots of laugh there, but a lot of people aren't laughing and don't think it's too funny about his new bad boy behavior. Pastor Smith, what do you think? Well, I'm certainly grateful that uh, there was no uh, media scrutiny on me when I was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, I now this is a problem. This is a problem. Judah Smith is supposedly a Christian pastor. We've got a kid who claims Judah Smith to be his pastor. That's... I mean, the reason why Judah Smith is on there is because he pastors um, Justin Bieber. we got a problem now, and that's this, is that Judah Smith is making excuses for and kind of deflecting away from the fact that Justin Bieber, he's engaging in truly sinful behavior. And it's going to get worse than this. And rather than calling a sin what it is, this is a sin— Remember, Justin Bieber said that he believes that Christ died for his sins. And see, there's a disconnect here. Because Justin Bieber doesn't see the things that he's doing as the very things that put Christ on the cross. The very things that Christ suffered and bled and died for. Justin Bieber is not putting on the new self that's created after Christ. Instead, Justin Bieber is staying enslaved to sin and not walking in penitent faith on a daily basis, and his own pastor is now making excuses for him. We continue. I think in general, we're all on a journey and a process of uh, decision-making, and I'm extremely proud of Justin and uh, the young man that he is, and uh, certainly grateful to uh, be in his life. And, but do you, um, when, you hear, when you hear questions about him smoking weed, do you cringe or do you say, I got some work to do here? I think, you know, we just continue to process on and journey on. And, uh, you know, I guess we both have a decision to make. We just process on and journey on. What does that mean? In life, all of us do. Uh, do we dwell on the past or do we move forward into the future? And uh, I think Justin's really good at moving forward and uh, certainly something I'm endeavoring to do in my own life, not to dwell on the past, but uh, move forward. It's all you can do. That is an amazing answer. I have to imagine there's a lot. Yeah, amazingly bad. A lot of pressure on Justin being such a huge star, as you mentioned, at just, you know, the age of 18. And he told Showbiz tonight that the hardest part about fame is losing your privacy. Check this out. As a star, what's the biggest thing you think you've sacrificed? Um, n like, privacy. 
Probably that's probably the most because like I'm everything's out there and like especially just like relationships everything just being out in the open um, that's probably the hardest. What is Ju what is Justin revealed to you about the pressures he faces? Oh well, f first of all, I probably wouldn't be his pastor for too long if I uh, divulged uh, confidential things that that we talk about. But uh, <laughs> you know, cer certainly, um, I think. Uh, just like he said right there, there's a there's a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny. And uh, I tell you, like I said, at 34 years old, like I'm super grateful that I didn't have that kind of level of scrutiny when I was 18. But um, yeah, I think it's just something that we're journeying together in, mm -hmm. in uh, just growing in both of us, growing in our relationship with God. And and frankly, in this uh, book that I've put out, it's uh, it's a lot of what uh, Justin and I talk about in terms of just uh, knowing Jesus more every day. Pastor Judah Smith, I could talk to you for a half an hour, but oh, I've got to go. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And he mentioned the book. Pick up the book. Jesus is blank. Find a new way to be human. Mm -hmm. So that was ultimately a plug for Judah Smith's book. So now, so you got, you got the idea. Justin Bieber claims to be a Christian. You know, there was a, the, we got the montage. But something has gone terribly wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong, and Justin Bieber, again, I'm not going to say he's not my Christian brother. I'm going to trust that you know he. this is a kid who, who actually has a, a valid confession of faith, although I, I can't see into his heart. But I can see what he's been doing lately, and we've there's some serious problems. So what you're going to hear now is uh, from three different... Um, Videos put out by basically, um, you know, a gossip, uh, you know, celebrity gossip group. And unfortunately, what is what you're going to hear is backed up with evidence. It's not like they're just making the stuff up whole cloth. They actually have evidence to back these things up. So and this is all like within the last month. Listen in. Here's number one. Lifers, this is Holly Bez with Bonnie and Chloe. Justin Bieber, he goes to a strip club in Houston on the weekend, mm -hmm. and a stripper there called Diamond actually tweets that he grabbed her butt. Bonnie, I actually called the strip club called V Live, mm -hmm. and I spoke to someone there who wouldn't give me their name, but they did confirm that Justin was there, and there were pictures of Justin getting dollar bills wrapped around his wrist, and it looks like he had a really good time. There's also photographs on TMC of him holding a beer. The thing is, though, is that Justin Bieber is not of legal drinking age in the United States, so now this has reportedly sparked an investigation into what was the club thinking, maybe serving allegedly Justin some alcohol. Maybe he was holding it for somebody else. Justin is keeping busy every Monday now. He is releasing a new song. He's calling it Musical Mondays, and today... All right, I'll leave out the Musical Mondays part. Um, let's continue with the story, uh, you, you don't follow this stuff. Again, I, this is all news to me as of today. Um, Justin Bieber um, was recently down in Brazil, and, well, um, his exploits there have uh, reached legendary status, if you would, in a nefarious kind of way. Let's listen in. with Katrina. And Bill. We have big breaking news today. A video surfaced of Tati Nevis, this girl in Brazil, who was seen leaving Bieber's room while Bieber's sleeping shirtless in bed. She's waving to the camera and blowing kisses. She's obviously very proud of the fact that she stayed over at Bieber's place. It's a crazy video, and it comes right on the heels of news that Justin was in a brothel recently 
recently. He emerged under a sheet. He was with two women, and sources in his camp say that it was a private club only. But fans are speculating a lot. And it certainly seems like there's more evidence to support the latter. Another girl, Gabby Del Campo, also posted a photo on Twitter with a stack of money in her hands. It appears to be all hundreds, with a little message thanking Bieber. Now, Us Weekly reported that at this brothel, girls cost twelve hundred a night. So I guess you can draw your own conclusions from that. One thing's for sure: Justin's been having a wild time abroad. So remember to subscribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been having a wild time abroad. That's putting it lightly. So okay, so we've got Justin Bieber in a strip club drinking a beer in October. He travels to Brazil, and um, <laughs> you know, the, one of the gals that was in his bedroom with him takes a little selfie video and uh, you know it shows him sleeping and it turns out that he was also in a well, in a brothel in in Brazil here's uh, the today show talking about Justin Bieber's exploits in Brazil as well. What do you think? Big weekend. Yes. Oh, well, let's talk about Justin Bieber because it seems like Beach. every week there's something else. He was in Brazil, and what happened? What did he do? <laughs> okay, he was up to his old antics. Uh -huh. He was photographed coming out of a very well-known brothel called, called Centaurus. Okay. But he was covered in a blanket. Oh. The only problem was is that his arm was sticking out, and his and arm has a very distinctive tattoo. And his no. shoes are very distinctive. That's right, he's ID'd by the arm. Yeah, his arm has a very distinctive tattoo with a cross on it. So wow. prostitutes are not illegal. Prostitution is not illegal. Brothels are. Brothels now, are. Now, reportedly, he was in the brothel for three hours. However, there is Playing a... chess. Well... <laughs> right, he brought in some uh, Four Spiritual Laws tracks, and he was clearly sharing the gospel with the gals there. <laughs> We don't know what he was doing in there, observing. But there was a, a, a report that he had been asked to leave his hotel because they created such a crowd and such a consternation at the hotel that they had to leave. So he was looking for a place he could come and go and was apparently told that this was a members-only club. Right, so he wanted to be somewhere private. Right. Centaurus, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But what's interesting, I mean, the, the brothels may be illegal, but Centaurus is on tourist lists. I mean, it's a well-known oh, site. Here's the thing. He's the biggest pop, one of the biggest pop stars in the country, in the world. He can certainly uh, have any girl he wants of that sort. Um, so why in the world would he pay five hundred dollars for sex? Right. Well, or go we, to a place like that. Right. You know? We don't. We don't know that that's what he did when well, he was there. Well, this girl is saying. This girl is saying the one that he hired apparently. And there's been a picture of the two girls that he, that came back to the hotel with him. From it just seems like it's risky. It just, it's yeah. unbelievably risky yeah. behavior, isn't it? What we forget is he is 19 years old. And, even mm -hmm. and what we forget is that he's a self-professed Christian. What does this do to the name of Christ? Even though he's very wealthy and very famous, he's not his brain and is not finished. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. His brain is not mature. Right, let's talk yeah. about Chloe and Lamar. Okay. So the problem is his brain is not mature. So those are the stories. Okay, now one more thing I'm going to throw into the mix here, and that's Judah Smith's recent, as of yesterday, I think, um, response to all of this, because Judah Smith says that he's Justin Bieber's pastor. So the headline from the Christian Post reads, Pastor Judah Smith offers Justin Bieber support amid media scrutiny. Media scrutiny. 
Uh, do not get discouraged. Ask, what would Jesus do? Oh, man. Christian Post writes, Despite Justin Bieber's recent South American exploits, landing him in the tabloids almost every day, the singer has maintained a loyal cadre of supporters, including Seattle pastor Judah Smith. In a recent Hollywood Reporter article that tries to make sense of allegations that Bieber had allegedly slept with a Brazilian prostitute, disrespected the Argentinian flag, illegally tagged, as in graffitied, a hotel wall, Smith, who pastors Washington-based City Church, made it clear that he's not abandoning his mentee. According to the report, Smith has counseled Bieber to avoid getting caught up in the press and, quote, not get discouraged or despondent because of perceived failures. Perceived failures. Perceived. No, these are for real failures. These are for real sins. These are for real sins that are not only showing that Bieber is enslaved to sin. These are sins that are dragging Christ's name through the mud. The pastor also added that he wishes the public could see a broader view of Bieber beyond the one that that sends heads turning. Quote, I don't envy the scrutiny that he carries, Smith said. He lives a very blessed life. But with those blessings come a lot of responsibility and expectations from people. Justin is digging deep and discovering, but he's an extraordinarily compassionate and considerate loving person who's also very loyal and committed to the people in his world. I wish more people saw that side of him. I mean, yeah, that's nice and all, but the thing is, is that a Christian pastor needs to be able to call a sin a sin. Smith, who frequently shows up on Bieber's social media feed and texts the singer Bible verses daily, has also flown out to visit him on tour to destinations as remote as South Africa and Australia. He has spoken out in the media several times on behalf of Bieber, Bieber, whom he met through the star's mother, Patty Mallet, who called him three years ago. His mom called me, and he was having a concert in Everett, Washington, Smith shared on Fox and Friends in February of this year. Lo and behold, he had heard me preach when he was younger in Toronto. I guess I used to put him to sleep. His mom said she'd play my tapes and he'd fall asleep. Smith also shared how he advises Bieber, who is one of the most successful recording artists and biggest celebrities of the past five years. I tend to think certainly Justin has a lot of opportunity and temptation, but frankly, I think in the 21st century, we probably all do. I would encourage him like I would encourage most of our church in Seattle in terms of being like Jesus and asking the all-important question, what would Jesus do? Justin makes fantastic decisions in his life, Smith added. Okay, so law and gospel applied. Here's the problem. No, Justin does not make good decisions. He's making terrible ones, and he's making sinful ones. And Scripture requires pastors to do a tough thing. And this is something that Judah Smith uh, is not doing. Let me read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, keep this in mind. You know, we're going to assume something here for a second, but let's let's work this all the way out. Listen to the full thing of what I'm going to say before you jump to conclusions. First Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writing to the church in Corinth says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. 
For, though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let us, therefore, celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not all meaning like sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. But now I'm writing you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler, a drunkard or a swindler, or not even to eat with such a one. For what, I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, so purge the evil person from among you. This is the command of Scripture. So, here's the deal. Justin Bieber is clearly enslaved to sexual sins. And he's enslaved to all kinds of sins at this point. He is not walking in the freedom that comes uh, through the gospel. Instead, he is literally publicly fallen short and is basically doing the unthinkable. And let me read from Romans chapter 6. So what shall we, what shall we say then? Are, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead uh, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will sure, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ... Being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And uh, it, it, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You see, true law and gospel applied with a proper understanding of what sin is. Sin is slavery. Sin is slavery to sin, to death, the devil, and the wages of this is death eternal. That's the wages. Somebody who is a Christian brother, who calls himself a Christian brother, who is publicly and unrepentantly uh, 
enslaved to these sins, I mean, he's living contrary to the gospel. And the thing that, that, that Justin Bieber needs to hear is not, what would Jesus do? He needs to again hear what Christ has done. He needs to hear that Christ Jesus can forgive even these sins. And I would point Justin Bieber to the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy, in the opening, in the opening of 1 Timothy chapter 1, we have a very fascinating thing that the Apostle Paul talks about. And in, in fact, let me, let me read this to you regarding the law. And, you know, so I'll open, uh, let me read the opening thing here, and we'll talk about Paul for a second. Paul writes, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain peoples not to teach any different doctrine or contrary doctrine. You know, this other doctrines that are not according to the standard of sound doctrine is what Paul's referring to here. Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make such confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just or the righteous, but the law is laid down for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners." for the unholy and the profane and those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Let me, let me make this emphasis here. Sexual immorality, homosexuality, lying, perjuring, these are all contrary to sound doctrine. And this is what... Justin Bieber needs to hear it's it's painful but it ne he needs to come to grips with this. Justin Bieber is as sinful as any person who struggles with same-sex attraction. Any person who is a homosexual, he is just as sinful as them. And if he's if the doctrine that he's being fed by men like Judah Smith and Carl Lentz is making light of his sin, they're teaching him false doctrine because all of these things are contrary to sound doctrine. So, let me read that again. Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the righteous, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners and for the unholy and the profane and those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted now keep in mind, Paul is writing as somebody who is guilty of murder. And he says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And the saying is trustworthy, and it is deserve, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
That's who Jesus came to save. He came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I am the chief. But I receive mercy. And listen to this. The reason why Paul received mercy, this is very important. Paul says, I receive mercy for this reason so that in me, as the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example or a prototype to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king of the ages, the immortal, the invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So here's the idea. Even the Apostle Paul, who was an insolent opponent of Christianity and a murderer, he says that God shows him as a prototype, an example for all of us to see of Christ's patience, his patience and mercy to those who believe in him. And so Justin Bieber needs to understand that, number one, Christ truly bled and died for all of these sins. But it's not going to do him any good if if he's going to just gloss them over and think, okay, well, I need to apply myself harder to the what would Jesus do thing. No, he needs to come to grips with what he's done in, in light of what it truly is, sin. The type of sin that damns, this type of sin that is contrary to sound doctrine, the type of sin that makes him guilty of Christ's damnation and eternal judgment. But just as Christ was patient with the Apostle Paul, Christ is patient now with Justin Bieber. And it's Christ's kindness that should lead him to repentance. If he thinks again about what Christ has done for him, not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus, not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? If he would think on that and meditate on that in light of what Scripture says, then he can understand this, that there is hope for him. There is hope for him because, as the Apostle John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Justin, my prayer for you is that you will be brought to repentance. Repentant faith and walk out your new Christian life as one who has the power of Christ, a regenerate life, to say no to the temptations that you face rather than say yes, because sin is slavery. You are not free right now. You are in deep, deep bondage, the type of bondage that endangers your soul to the fires of hell. And Christ died for these sins. Repent. But if you don't repent... If you persist in living as a slave to sin, then Christians must, because they have a biblical duty, according to Scripture, to cast you out and no longer consider you to be part of the fellowship. In the truest sense, excommunicate you and basically say, we have nothing to do with you and turn you over to Satan for the destruction of your body. This is what Scripture says. And although Judah Smith won't tell you that, Carl Lentz won't tell you that, I'm telling you that because that's what Scripture says. So repent and be forgiven. There is mercy. Jesus forgave a murderer like the Apostle Paul who opposed the message of the gospel. Jesus forgave prostitutes 
and tax collectors, and he came to seek and save the lost. He did not come for the well, he came for the sick, he came for the sinner. And that means you and I have a lot in common, because I too am a sinner. I'm not speaking as one who is holy and righteous and telling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I am speaking as one who is a sinner, saved by grace, saved by what Christ has done, and daily, by God's grace, live in the freedom that comes from the gospel and through the Holy Spirit. And it's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. These sins are contrary to sound doctrine. They are contrary to Christian sanctification and they war with your soul and endanger you to the fires of hell. That's the truth that you need to be hearing and I fear that that's not what you're hearing from Carl Lentz and from Judah Smith. And although there's a lot of people tearing Justin Bieber down in the media, and I think a lot of that criticism is justified, because he confesses to be a Christian brother, the right thing to do is to call him to repentance. Call him to repentance so that he can be forgiven and restored and renewed. And that is what my prayer is for Justin Bieber. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back, short segment. We're going to be listening to Dr. Walter Martin talking about the devil. I think it's important for us to hear. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> For tuning in to another episode of Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host, Stanley Andy. Today we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, from the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation of the Bible. Here's what it says. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of bloggers, who warned you to flee from your mother's basement? Thank you for listening to Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host, Stanley Andy.
Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted... It's a Star Trek uniform, but it's red. What are you trying to say? It was the only colored wool fabric I had. Uh, Try it on. It's, uh, really itchy. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. All right, we're back. Warning, beware of churches that have as the solution for sin, just do what Jesus would do, rather than pointing you to what Jesus has done. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world, and you can partner with us. That's right, it's a partnership. You do that by visiting our website at fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, this next segment, we're going to be listening to a lecture delivered decades ago by Dr. Walter Martin regarding Satan and Satanism. We're not going to listen to the whole thing, but I would like to remind you all that we do not struggle against flesh and blood. We struggle against a very serious foe, and that is the devil. And I think Walter Martin puts it so boldly and so succinctly that it's worth passing along to remind every one of us what exactly that we're up against, especially when we pray 
lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the the right way to look at this from the Greek, deliver us from the evil one. What is that exact, that evil one that we're praying against, that we're praying to be delivered from? Here's Walter Martin to explain that. When we talk about Satanism, when we talk about the various subjects connected with it, quite obviously, a great many people get uptight. And the reason that they get uptight is because it's not really too fashionable to talk about the devil. You see, the devil has been voted out of office so far as our age is concerned, and he is caricatured mostly on Halloween and uh, on various programs as a semi-beneficent individual or a humorous character, and Satan in literature even has taken on a new face. So when we talk about Satan as the enemy of the soul, when we talk about Satan as the adversary of God, when we talk about Satan as a person possessed of enormous capacities for evil, then immediately people, particularly in our day, look askance. Now the church is laboring, therefore, under a tremendous handicap because the Middle Ages had no problem with the devil. They understood that he was around because he gave ample evidence for everybody to see it. The Dark Ages had no problem understanding the devil because everybody knew he was around and they were terrified of his presence, as the records of history indicate. The Apostolic Age had no problem with the devil because they were forever encountering him and conquering him through the power of Jesus Christ's name. It seems as if the age that really has dawned on us now, the so-called Aquarian Age, as the astrologers have put it, seems to be an age where we live and let live even where evil is concerned. And so the devil has a new look or a new interpretation. And people don't hesitate at all to describe the devil as the collective evil in mankind or a super consciousness of evil that all people share in. But to talk of him as a person, to personify him, people are not in the least interested in talking about a personal devil. Now, the reason why they don't want to talk about him is because talking about him makes people uncomfortable. Just the thought that he might really exist is enough to blow anybody's mind if they think about it for any period of time. Because if the biblical record is only half right as to who he is and the power that he wields, then everybody has a very good reason for taking a healthy look at the world in which we live and our own lives and recognizing that apart from the power of God, we are in desperate straits where this being is concerned. Now, the Bible mentions him in Isaiah chapter 14 under a specific heading. How art thou fallen from heaven? Verse 12. O Lucifer, son of the morning. In the Hebrew, the indication here is that his appearance before his fall from glory was as the radiance of the sun at its brightest in the morning. He is called Son of the Morning. How are you cut down to the ground, you who didst weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. The judgment comes in verse 15. Yet you will, this is future, not now, you will be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. And those who see you there will look upon you narrowly, that is, with low esteem, and consider saying, is this the one that made the earth to tremble and that shook the kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that did not open the houses of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, all of them lie in glory, every one in his own house. But you are cast out of the grave like an abominable branch. And as the raiment of those that are slain thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renewed. Now, obviously, God is talking to the king of Tyre, as the context indicates. But he is addressing, as he quite frequently does, the force that is behind the king of Tyre. And if you go on reading this particular passage, you will find out that he is addressing Satan, known as Lucifer, before his fall. Specifically, he made these claims. I will ascend to heaven, verse 13. I will exalt my throne. Three, I will sit also in the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Five, I will be like God himself. And these are the five claims of the devil, all of them stemming from pride. And because of this, he plummeted from the high position that he occupied and was judged by God. It is said of him alone that he walked in Eden among the stones of fire as the covering cherub of God, which means that his position was high in the dimension of the spirit. Now, people quite frequently ask, well, why or how did Lucifer fall? If he were created as a perfect being, how in the world did imperfection creep into his nature? He was created as an innocent being. He was created with the power of choice. And there was no evil until he exercised that choice, contrary to the will of his creator. He was exposed to infinite love, mercy, compassion, and the character of God on every level. And when the time came to make a choice, he chose to be like his creator. And the pride of his soul deceived him. The origin of evil sprung from an innocent being with the power of choice. Just as mankind fell, created innocent, but with the power of choice. Now, when we approach the study of Satanism, let's get a few things clearly fixed in our minds. He does not wear a red union suit. He does not have a goatee and horns. He does not smell of sulfur nor the cloven hoof. And his appearance 
is dazzlingly beautiful. He does not appear as darkness. He consistently appears as light. Remember, he is called son of the morning. He still retains, though his image has been scarred and battered and marred by gross sin, he still retains the reflective glory of that magnificent creation, enough to dazzle the minds of any individual that comes in contact with him. So don't sell the devil short. He is not unattractive, and his appearance is very accommodating. A second thing we want to deal with, don't play games with the devil. There are people that tell you, rebuke the devil. There are people that tell you, stand up to the devil. There are people that tell you to quite literally pronounce curses on the devil. Now, I want to give you a little bit of advice from someone who has labored for over 20 years in the kingdom of the cult and the occult, which is the kingdom of Satan, let me assure you. And that is the advice of Michael the Archangel, as recorded in Jude, verse 9. I'm going to give it to you exactly as it reads in the Greek. And this is post-resurrection. Jude is writing this to the church. He says, Yet even Michael Archangelos, Michael, he who is like God, that's how high his position is. He reflects the presence of God. Michael, the prince of Israel, who drove Lucifer from heaven. Even Michael, he who is like God, when disputing or arguing with the devil over Moses' body, we don't know what the argument was about. All we know is there was an argument. Now the Greek says, he did not dare to bring against him a judgment of blasphemy, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now mark that down and remember it. If the prince of the angels who led the army that expelled Satan from heaven did not dare for fear of some kind of retaliation. That's the meaning of the word, palmao. Did not dare rebuke him, even after Calvary and the resurrection. This is recorded for us, so we're supposed to learn something from it. Then it's good advice to us. Don't try and take him on, because he is far too powerful. The only victory that the Christian has in dealing with him is in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see precisely how Satanism can be overcome by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But these are things we ought to know about the devil. We ought to know something else about him, too. We ought to know that his power, though curtailed, is enormous. And it should never, ever be underestimated. Let me draw to your attention that Satan's power, as revealed in the Scripture, includes power over elemental forces. That has never been taken from him, so far as we know. He caused a tornado in the book of Job to destroy Job's children's home. He caused lightning to strike from heaven.
to kill Job's children. He has the power to afflict with disease, apparently, because he afflicted Job from head to toe after obtaining permission with boils. Jesus Christ healed a woman in the New Testament whom he specifically said was oppressed by the devil and bound by him for more than 18 years. Now we are specifically told in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is to be delivered to Satan for the destruction of their body that the spirit may be saved at the day of the Lord Jesus. Now you read it carefully. There was a man there who was sleeping with his father's wife. First Corinthians 5. Apparently the father, an older man, had married a young woman. The father died. The boy fell in love with his stepmother. He married her. Paul writes and says, this is forbidden by God. And the man says, forbidden or not, I love her. So Paul said, then this is the judgment of God. Deliver him to Satanus. That's an extremely important sentence. Deliver him to the devil for the destruction of the body. What did it mean? Excommunicate him from the fellowship of the church permanently. Give him no right to the Lord's table nor the fellowship of believers that Satan may gain control of him so that his body is destroyed and his spirit delivered at the day of the Lord Jesus. Now we are dealing with an enormously potent force from that passage alone if we have nothing else. Let us never forget Jesus Christ's statement in John chapter 14. The prince of this world is coming and finds nothing in me. Dr. Barnhouse used to say, none of us can ever make that statement. The prince of this world is coming and he findeth plenty in you and in me. But he found nothing in Jesus Christ. And the word translated prince is the Greek word archon, which means ruler. And what Jesus really said in John 14 was this, the ruler of this age is coming. Why? Judas Iscariot was possessed by the devil. Now you note that if you know anything about New Testament Greek. There's a definite article. Ho Satanas entered Judas. Not a devil, not a demon. Satan personally took possession of Judas Iscariot. Jesus said, the ruler of this age is coming and finds nothing in me. Arise, let us go out to meet him. And they met him in the garden. Judas kissed him and said, Hail, Master. And they took him prisoner. Notice also in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost in whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Who is he? This is post-resurrection. God of this age, ruler of this age, 
So vast is his power that he is capable of blinding the intellect of man so that the gospel itself cannot penetrate without a direct intervention by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I do not say these things lightly, nor to communicate fear of him. We are never told to fear him. What we are told is to have a sound, healthy respect for him. When you are dealing with the devil, don't treat it lightly. And as Christians, particularly, we should every day of our lives repeat the Lord's Prayer, which includes this sentence, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Lead us not into the time of testing, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus Christ would never have commanded us to pray that kind of a prayer unless we needed that kind of protection every day. Every day of my life, when I get up in the morning and when I go to bed at night, I repeat that prayer. Somebody says, well, that's your Episcopalian and your Roman Catholic background. No, it isn't. That's my biblical theology, which tells me if Christ said you should do it, you better believe it. It should be done. Now, all around the landscape today, we have people writing books on the devil. I have never seen so much instant theology manufactured on Satan as I have in the last five years. Everybody is an instant expert on the devil. I want to tell you something. There's no such thing as an instant expert on the devil. You only get to understand the devil through long years of being buffeted by him, tricked by him, afflicted by him, and I might add zapped by him every opportunity that he gets. Then you get to know the devices of the devil. But you don't get it out of some textbook and six easy lessons or rules that tell you how infallibly to combat the devil. He has a case history on you and me that would make the FBI and the Secret Service look like little orphan Annie's Ovaltine ads. And his computer system is so infinitely superior to IBM that I would love to let them see precisely how little they know about computer technology. His network of information is fantastic. We are dealing with an organized, supernaturally directed conspiracy. And as Barnhouse once put it, nothing less than a fully declared invisible war in which the Christian must be prepared to face the full fury of the forces of darkness. There is something else that we learn about him. In the temptation of Jesus Christ, you will recall that he made a slight slip that tells us something about his character. Please notice it. Read it when you get home, but you will know it when I quote it to you. You recall that he showed our Lord all of the kingdoms of the world and the glories in them in an instant of time. And then he said, all these things will I give unto you, 
for they have been delivered into my hand to give them to whomsoever I will. Now the validity of a temptation is conditioned upon the capacity of response and also upon the fact that you are able to deliver what you are offering. He could deliver the world. He asked something in exchange. He always bargained. Everything will be yours. Worship me. What does that tell you? That tells you we are living in a universe resembling some type of cosmic zoo presided over by a paranoid cosmic maniac who suffers from infinite delusions of grandeur and who has convinced himself by the worst conceivable deception, which is self-deception, that one day he will ascend to the place where he can bargain his way back into the presence of God Almighty. Now I tell you, if you go into a mental institution, into a psycho ward, and the people are diagnosed as homicidal, you are very careful how close you get to them, what you say to them, and the conversation, though they may be delightful, pleasant, and apparently normal people, some of them will slit your throat if you turn around in 10 seconds. We are living in a world which Jesus Christ has told us is run by a cosmic maniac who is dedicated to homicidal tendencies, namely to the extinction of the human race. And we act as if somehow or other we were going to escape an encounter with him. Well, we're not. Multiply homicidal maniacs in institutions by almost infinity, and that's the kind of mind you're up against when you encounter the Prince of Darkness. He is cosmically sick. His illness is vast, and that makes him dangerous beyond all comprehension. Interesting, isn't it? Have you ever stopped to think about the maniacal, homicidal, completely narcissistic maniac that we're up against? Yeah, the one who was actually defeated by Christ on the cross, that one. Why do I play that? Because I think it's important for us to understand something, and it's easy to lose sight of all of this, is that all of the bad sermons we review, all of the heretics and the heresy that we cover here at Fighting for the Faith, it's, it, we need to understand what is going on. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, to not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion, the apostasy, that's what the Greek says, the apostasy of the rebellion comes first. And then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts against exalts himself. 
listen to this, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. So Satan has a restrainer put on him. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power, false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but instead had pleasure in unrighteousness. I know it seems like an odd card to throw, but it's a card that we, unfortunately, we need to take a look at from time to time. And I thought today was as good a time as any to once again biblically take a look at the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against a homicidal, maniacal creature with a lot of power who deceives and deceives and deceives and deceives because he's at war with God and wants to exalt himself to the place of God. The strategy is the same. The goal's the same. He hasn't changed in the thousands of years that he's been waging this war against God. And all of us who've been brought to saving faith in Christ, this is the one who opposes us and seeks to destroy us. Something to keep in mind. All right, we're up on our second break. We're running a little longer today. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. When we come back, sermon review, we'll be listening to a good sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley regarding temptation. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted two tin cans and a string. It's one of those communicated devicey thingies. Now you can talk to your friends of a long... Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're well into it. Apologize for the length of today's program, at least the first hour. It's, the word hour doesn't have any meaning today. Let's do this right. End off on a good note. And I think this is appropriate given the topic for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is a good one. Comes to us via Bethel Evangelical Free Church in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in the United Kingdom. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. The name of the sermon is When You Are Tempted. This is from a series of sermons that Pastor Charmley has been delivering on how shall we live. You know, in light of the gospel, those of us who've been mercifully forgiven, washed, regenerated, reborn, renewed, redeemed, restored, in light of God's mercies, how then are we to live our lives? He'll be preaching from the epistle of James, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And I think Pastor Charmley does a whiz-bang job of dealing with the topic of temptation that we all face. So let me go ahead and kill the music. And without any further ado, here is Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley in his sermon entitled, When You Are Tempted. Here we go. Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the epistle of James and chapter 1. James chapter 1. James is particularly concerned with practical Christianity, that is to say, with how the Christian faith is lived out. 
He is writing to Jewish Christians scattered over the Roman world and perhaps beyond the Roman world. The people who need to be guided in how they are to apply that which they believe. So James chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, the flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. When he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And he's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We trust God to bless the reading of his holy word. This evening we are considering particularly verses 12 through 18 
of this first chapter of the epistle. The word that is translated trials in verse 2 is also the same word translated temptations in verse 12. Its translation, as with the translation of any word, depends on its context. Words mean the same word can have different flavours, different meanings, depending on where it appears. And just as there are cases where an English word, if it's put into another language, will be translated by more than one word in that receptor language, so there are also cases where one Greek word has to be translated by several English words. As you probably know, there are multiple Greek words for love, but only one English word for love. So we have the word trial or the word temptation, but the Greek only has one word. And these things are trials if we consider them as sent by God to develop our faith, as tests that God wants us to pass. But they may also be seen as temptation. Because if we fail in the test, then we fall into sin. Now, given that God brings trials, the question is, does God ever bring these things as temptations? That is to say, as things intended to draw people away to sin. And James' response is absolutely certain, no, never, God never sends any event into a person's life as a temptation, that is to say, with the intention that it will lead that person into sin. God does not tempt anyone to sin, James says. What are we to make of temptations then? Well, he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We see these temptations, these circumstances, where it is possible for us to either withstand these things, or to give in, to yield, and to commit sin as sent by God that we may endure, that we may conquer, that we may overcome. It is a conflict to be won. It is not something that is intended by God to lead us to sin, but something that we are to fight against and to overcome. He who endures to the end shall be saved. It is written. And the writer of the Hebrews, back in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Let us, or therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance the race that is set. Before us, the Christian life is there, set forth under the figure, the image 
of an endurance race, a marathon, long distance races. And the aim of the marathon runner is to endure, to get to the finishing line. We are to endure. We are told in no uncertain terms that the Christian in this world does not have an easy time of things. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, says Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us that all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Christians do not have an easy time of things. And we are surrounded by temptations of various kinds. Now sometimes, of course, a temptation comes and we can do with it what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. He ran away, he escaped. But we can't always do that for various reasons. One of which is that, as James goes on to say, the re what makes a circumstance of temptation to sin is not actually anything in the circumstance, but something in ourselves. Because each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And so, the same circumstance can be a temptation for one person and not for another. We have had uh, in the news recently, the news of this uh, Mr. Flowers, a Methodist minister who has it would seem fallen into temptation of pornography and illegal drug taking among other things. Now illegal drug taking that may be, and obviously was a great temptation for him and we trust that the Methodist Church will be seeking his restoration to Christ. But to other people, that temptation to drug-taking doesn't exist. There are people to whom it has no, for whom it has no attraction whatsoever. Because their desires do not work that way. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And so resisting temptation is not simply about that which is outside, but it's first of all about that which is inside, conquering those very desires. And those desires are not necessarily wrong. Because it may be that someone has a deep desire to provide for their family, to provide for their children down the road. And that desire is a good and a right desire, but it can lead someone to financial misbehaviour, to embezzle money from a company, for example, to engage in illegal financial deals to engage in illegal activity to be able to provide that money. Now the desire to provide for children is right and good, but the way that desire is then twisted to justify evil is itself bad. We are to fight 
and we are to overcome in the time of temptation. And the great encouragement for that is this, that the person who does this is blessed. That there is a blessing from God. And there is a blessing to come in the end. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 we read these words. Revelation 2 10. This is the address of the Lord Jesus to the church in Smyrna. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. Same word, temptation, testing. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Here are Christians in danger of martyrdom being told, there is a crown of life. You are faithful unto death. They lose their lives. Physically. But they gain life eternal. Now we think of crowns particularly in the sense of the crown that the Queen wears on state occasions. Which is of course a very valuable piece of jewellery in and of itself. But in the ancient world the crown was not usually made of gold, silver, precious stones. The crown was in fact usually something like a laurel wreath or a wreath made out of ivy or of oak leaves. In other words, it was quite valueless as an actual material object. The value lay in the fact that the crown symbolised honour. The victorious general would be crowned. The victorious athlete would be crowned and it said, this one has overcome, this one has conquered, this one is honoured. This one is honoured by God himself in this case. The Christian who endures temptation is honoured by God with eternal life and receives a crown of glory that does not fade away. So we are encouraged to overcome to receive the favour, the blessing, the honour that comes from God alone. And we are also told God does not tempt anyone to sin. It's been said that ever since the Garden of Eden, sinful man has been trying to make excuses for his sin. In the Garden, of course, Adam blamed Eve. But also Adam blamed God, the woman you have given me, she gave me, and I ate. And God would not listen to it. But well, here James is using what no doubt was an excuse people would give. They say, well, God has put me in this situation, therefore God is tempting me to sin. Today people very often say, well, this is how I am, God has made me like this, so God expects me to behave this way. Now of course the problem with that argument is it completely ignores the fact of the fall of man. That the way you are is fallen. We are all affected 
by the fall of Adam. We are all affected in body, in mind. The whole of man, the theological term uses total depravity, doesn't mean that everyone is as bad as they could possibly be, but it means that the fall has affected every part of the person. And that means that for someone to say, well, this is the way I am, these are the desires I have, therefore I will act upon them, is to fall into serious error. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. God doesn't bring anyone into any situation with the intention that that person commits sin. God cannot. And the argument that James uses very simply says, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. We might expand the argument to go a bit like this. To entice someone to sin, to tempt someone is to entice them to sin. To entice someone to sin supposes, when in fact requires, that the one doing the enticing delights in sin. God cannot delight in sin, therefore God cannot entice anyone to commit sin. Because God cannot, will not, delight in sin, because delight in sin is in and of itself sinful. And God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God therefore cannot tempt anyone to sin. God puts someone into a situation where they choose sin, but the sin itself comes from the person who commits it, because each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Man seeks excuses. Man says, in this example, God made me do it. Others say, well, the devil made me do it. Or, so-and-so made me do it. But James says, no, you chose to do it yourself. If someone is coerced into doing something wrong, if actual physical force is placed upon them, then that is not sin. Because sin is the choice of the person. Now James, of course, is not dealing with the question of desires. He's dealing with actions and thoughts. The word translated desires, if you have a King James, you'll find it says lusts. Now lusts in 1611 English did not have the, the purely sexual, or pretty much purely sexual connotation the word has today. It simply meant strong desires. And the Greek here means simply strong desires. In fact, this word quite right to say desires here because in the Greek it's used of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus had strong desires. Of course he did. Strong desires to do good. 
To use it back when Jesus says, I have desired to eat this Passover with you, he literally says that he has had a strong, overwhelming desire to eat the Passover. And temptation comes when some outside circumstance touches the desires we have. And that is why there's a struggle. If there was no struggle, there would be no conflict. If the circumstances not touch our actual desires, then we should very simply say, well, that has no appeal to me whatsoever, and on we would go. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then James says there is a process when desire has conceived the desire, rather than being overcome, is entertainment. And it conceives, and it gives birth to sin, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't say, oh, it is a little thing. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. Sin is serious. Sin is wrong. The key is, key to sin is the sinner. It is I who sins if I sin. It is not somebody else. How then do we deal with temptation? We deal with it, first of all, by remembering who God is. Now James is preeminently practical. He's mostly about how then should we live. But of course, the Christian life is built on a foundation of teaching, of doctrine, of who God is, who Jesus is. What the world is, how the world came into being, what God's plan for the world is. God, so far from tempting people to evil, James says, is the source of all that is good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variation nor shadow of turning. Phraseology is quite poetic in the English. In the Greek, James lapses into poetry. Now, he's probably not quoting a poem. It's just that this glorious thought brings him to accidentally, from a human standpoint, write a little piece of poetry. It is such a beautiful thought that it becomes poetry just by the expressing of it. We are to recall that God is the giver of all that is good and that he is the unchanging giver of all that is good. That he is the father of lights, the one who has given us the sun, the moon and the stars, who has given us the light that floods this world by which we see. And that unlike the sun, which has variation, and certainly as we perceive the sun from here, we see the variation between the sun in the summer and the sun in the winter, the variation between 
morning, noon and night. But God has no variation at all. He does not change and therefore we are secure and safe. And more than that, if he is the giver of every good gift, he will give the good gifts that we need. So if the temptation is a temptation of dishonesty, because we are tempted to think, how shall I provide it? Then we come to the thought, but God will provide. He is the giver of every good gift. And the heart then moves to God. And so we go from the temptation, and rather than thinking of ourselves, we think of God. And not God as the judge who will condemn, so much as God as the heavenly Father who gives every good thing, and whom we may come to, seeking the good things that will answer to that temptation and will take it away, even if it be the good thing of endurance. And we recall that God is the one who has loved us. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures or of his creation. God loved us without any external force acting on him at all. Of his own will, not our will, not the will of some third party, but of his own will. His love is entirely free. And the Christian says, I have been converted, I have been born again. And if I am born again then that is because God has loved me. And if God has loved me, then he has freely chosen to love me. And he will love me to the end. And therefore, I can seek holiness and righteousness from him, because he has chosen us that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, the first fruits, of course, James is writing to Jewish Christians. They knew very well the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, the books that contain the laws of Israel. And in those laws, in Leviticus 23, there is the ordinance of the first fruits. So Leviticus 23, verse 9, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. You shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And the point is, the first fruits are holy to the Lord. So the sheep that is brought is a representative sheep, declaring that all the first fruits are holy to the Lord. And Christians are a kind of first fruits of the creation. They are those who are holy to the Lord, who are given 
by God. We are consecrated, we are called to holiness. And not only that, but therefore God will provide that holiness. As Mr. Wesley puts it, he wills that I should holy be. What can resist his will? The counsel of his grace in me he surely shall fulfill. And so when faced with temptation we say, I am a Christian. God loves me. God provides for me. God wills that I should be holy. God is working in me to make me holy by the Holy Spirit. And he who has begun a good work in me will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Therefore my confidence is in God. So when you fall into temptation, fight. Struggle against it because that is God's will. And his will is that you struggle, you fight, and you overcome. And you do not fight the battle alone. For God gives that strength through his Son. Certainly do not suspect God of seeking your downfall. But rather be absolutely certain he is on your side. Do not seek to make excuses for sin. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Not that they're not sins, but that God forgives sins. I've said many times, one of the great truths that we need to emphasize in this generation, in this age, when effectively more and more sins are being denied to be sins, when we have same-sex marriage being celebrated, when we have the clinicalization of certain sins, when we have people rumbling about making child abuse or in certain circumstances not illegal, we need to be absolutely firm and to say we believe in the forgiveness of sins. That is to say we believe first of all that sins are sinful and secondly that sins can be forgiven. That Christ died not for our mistakes, not for our pardonable errors, but for our sins. And that the enormous weight of human guilt was laid upon him. And so the Christian who has failed, as we do, who has done as the Apostle Peter did when he was asked, you know this man? And denied knowing Christ. The Christian who is in that position does not seek to make excuses but says, I have sinned. But also then comes to God in repentance, knowing that he will receive and he will forgive and he will pardon. And he welcomes back the sinner. King David was a murderer and an adulterer. When he came to God and said, I have sinned, God forgave his child. When we fall into temptation, we are to fight against it. And if we fall in temptation, we are to confess it to God and find that restoration, that forgiveness that is in the cross. And in all 
We are to trust him, who is indeed the one who of his own will brought us forth by the word of truth, the preaching of the gospel, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Amen. What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.